in a world where everything is disposable, mm -hmm. music is disposable, you know, uh, everything's in 15 second yeah. tidbits and, and that sort of thing. Soul music, R&B music, um, rock and roll has stood the test of time. Yeah. And some of the most timeless songs come from the types of genres that um, Samantha Martin and Delta Sugar play. And that timeless music, the reason why it's timeless is because it speaks to everybody at yeah. some point in their life. You're listening to Having a Chat, the show where we take interesting people with interesting tastes in music and talk to them about the music that they love. I'm Alex Spears, and this week on the show, we are chatting with Canadian blues singer Samantha Martin. Samantha and her band Delta Sugar have just released a new album called The Reckless One, and she joins us to chat about politics, music, and a fantastic selection of old blues and R&B tunes. This is Having a Chat. Alrighty, well, Samantha, thank you very much for for being with us. My pleasure, Alex. Good to be here. Um, so we're gonna start off with uh, with your tune uh, "Loving You Is Easy." Um, and but before we do that, I wanted to talk to you about, um, and I don't know if political advocacy is the right way to put it, but um, my understanding is that that is something that just sort of in this sort of post COVID world, um, fighting for the uh, you know the not the rights but just musicians and artists to make a sort of a reasonable living um in this pandemic has been something that you've that's been very important to you um could you maybe expand on that for me yeah i mean i think the industry has put musicians in a spot where traditional revenue streams like CD sales, vinyl sales, you know, getting paid properly from, you know, digital streaming platforms um, to earn a livable wage has slipped so far yeah. that we have found ourselves in a position now, especially with the pan that has been heightened right. by the pandemic um, where our revenue stream for musicians have been playing live shows and touring. Yeah. Right. And now that we're not able to do that either, and we're also getting paid, you know, pennies on mm -hmm. the dollar for streaming. People aren't buying records the way they used to. Mm -hmm. um, we're in a position where there's nowhere to pivot to. Right. You know, and and we're all sort of just kind of figuring this out. And so my advocacy on behalf of musicians is taking myself into consideration as well. You know, like mm -hmm. I need help. Yeah. So, um, you know, advocating on behalf of musicians with um, Canada Heritage mm -hmm. and, you know, the governments and stuff saying, you know, like we need to find a solution to this. Right. Here are some of my ideas, you know, and there are musicians who 
are doing a much better job at it. Like right. for example, Miranda Maholland, right. who um, sits on many different boards and has the ears um, of a lot of very influential political figures. Right. And she lobbies on behalf of musicians. And I just get to sit back and be like, Hey, Miranda, how can I help? Yeah. You know, and, and to sort of disseminate the information that Miranda's giving me and, and that sort of thing. So I do my best and, and, you know, try to help where I can. And mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit, it was a lot about disseminating ways that musicians could get the help that they needed. Right you know, the financial help that they needed, whether it be through Unison Benevolent Fund mm -hmm. or grants that had popped up uh, throughout, you know, like Canada Performs, for example, mm -hmm. where, you know, they would pay you to do a live stream. Um, then there was Ontario Arts Council, Toronto right. Arts Council. They both did granting bodies. And now we've moved into granting bodies have pivoted and gave, allocated extra money to video components right. you know like in factor jsr's part of that is a is a video component so they've dumped a little bit more money into these video components right. so that you can get paid to do these live streams gotcha and that sort of thing so it's more about disseminate i'm more of a disseminator right. of <laughs> information but um you know i'm definitely vocal about it yeah yeah of course our best interest to be vocal and the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I'm, and I'm, the reason I'm asking about it's just, you know, it's a, in addition to doing this show, I'm also sort of, you know, I, I'm, I work uh, in part for a, uh, a basic income advocacy organization. Um, so this is sort and, and part of what motivates me to do that is just the impact that it would have on artists. Um, and, but something that I'm, that I often discuss with, friends of mine who are musicians who are vastly more talented than myself is the fact that even in a pre-COVID world, the, the pressures that having to earn a living outside of your creative pursuits um, place on you and the degree to which that actually prevents you from being able to sort of maximize your creative output. Do you feel that that's the case at all? Absolutely. Um... I think the thing that I struggle with is that artists are not owed a living. Right. You have to earn a living just right. like everybody else. But what has happened is corporate interest. Yeah. You know, whether it be major labels or um, Spotify, mm -hmm. iTunes, all the DSPs and, and the way people listen to music now. Mm -hmm. Um has taken our ability to earn a living away, even though we're doing everything that we should, yeah. you know, um, some people have more success at it than others for sure. You know, yeah. like some people are really have a younger audience and therefore do right. better on Spotify. Right. You know, myself, my, my core audience is a little bit older. Right. You know, uh, just because of the style of music right. that I, I perform is, you know, blues based, soul, yeah. gospel, early R&B, early rock and roll. And um, so it speaks to a certain age group. Right. 
for the most part. But of course, you know, we're trying to expand that audience. Yeah, but, of course. Um, you know, my audience still buys CDs, but my audience is smaller than right. you know, if, I, if I was if I was like playing pop music right. or if I was a country music singer um, it, that in that regard. So, you know, I think we. I think we have to be careful because it, it's we need to just advocate for better payment for what we do, yeah. a livable wage for what we do. Right. And it's no different than a livable wage for minimum wage workers. Yeah. You know, to me, minimum wage is a business telling me that this is as little as I can get away yeah. paying you. And that's what that's what Spotify and 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 those sorts of royalty payments on on streaming music you know he's a billionaire yeah and everybody else is struggling yeah and you know we're i think we just gotta you know keep advocating for proper payment for and compensation yeah. for our creations you yeah. know because without us if collectively as artists we all went Screw you. Yeah. We're taking all of our stuff off of every streaming platform until such a time that we get paid properly. Yeah. Um, you know, they they'd be like, oh, and everything their entire business model would collapse right. without us. So there's this weird thing where it's like you should want to not put us in the position to be like, hey, give me my stuff back because yeah. I can do it at any time. Yeah. And there's a lot of musicians who you know, choose not to put yeah. their their music on digital streaming platforms and maybe only keep it on Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. You know, but you got to play the game sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, and it is it is interesting because you're you're so right. Like it seems like artists the world over would technically appear to have all the leverage, but because the incentives to just keep your shit on Spotify are so strong, it just they've they've kind of got the artist checkmated almost it seems yeah it's it's sort of damned if you do damned if you don't yeah situation yeah. and i i just really um there will come a time and if we keep advocating you know that maybe we'll get a penny for every stream instead yeah. of fractions of a penny you know we're not i don't think people are unreasonable. Yeah. We just, we just, you know, would like a seat at the table. This is yeah. our art that yeah. you're making billions of dollars off of. Yeah. Literally. And, um, you know, we, we just keep advocating, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and housing and, you know, precarious gig economy working, yeah. you know, these are things that a lot of musicians find them situations that musicians find themselves in pre-pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Where, you know, Toronto's housing market is insane. Yeah. You know, condos are going up like crazy. You know, there's no shortage of homes to mm. rent out and that sort of thing. But there's this weird situation that we found ourselves in where, you know, you, you could be working a full-time minimum wage job. Yeah. And just be digging yourself in debt yeah. every day living in the city. Yeah. So why live in the city? And and that's why you see a lot of artists kind of migrating out of the city and yeah. like 
going to Georgetown, going yeah. to Hamilton, yeah. headed out to Stratford and Guelph. Yeah. And, you know, like, cause Toronto is going to lose their arts community. You know, the longer the pandemic goes on, yeah, no, I the agree. longer the housing crisis goes on and housing insecurity mm-hmm. and food insecurity, mm-hmm. you know, like musicians can't afford to keep living in the city and paying these rents, but right. we're told that we have to be in Toronto. Yeah if we want to make a real solid go at it. So it's, you know, some people are going to be able to get through it and some people might decide, okay, enough's enough. And this is too hard and sort of, you know, move on and do something else. And and it's sad because the art pays the price for it. Yeah. Yeah. Always. No, I mean, you're, you're really, you're really talking my language here. I love it. Um, (laughs) So I want to, I want to take it back to this, um, this tune, um, and, and I want to explore something that you said, which I think is interesting, is just sort of the the nature of your genre and how that it attracts like an older um, sort of listener. And, you know, perhaps I'm just an old soul surrounded by friends that are old souls. But I, you know, I love your music and the type of music that you play. But I'm interested in sort of, you know, before we listen to this tune, how you would kind of a weird thing to ask but like almost like an elevator pitch for like your type of music to a young person my elevator pitch and not even necessarily for your music but like for the genre genre, yeah you know it's um i need a minute to think about that that's a hard (laughs) question if anything um In a world where everything is disposable, mm-hmm. music is disposable, you know, uh, everything's in 15 second yeah. tidbits and, and that sort of thing. Soul music, R&B music, um, rock and roll has stood the test of time. Yeah. And some of the most timeless songs come from the j- types of genres that... Um, Samantha Martin and Delta Sugar play and that timeless music the reason why it's timeless is because it speaks to everybody at some point in their life
Um, all right, so now uh, we're, we're going to talk about the Flamingos uh, with I Only Have Eyes For You. What do you like about this, Tim? Well, you want to talk about Timeless. Um, so it was written in 1934. Right. This song was written in 1934 uh, by Harry Warren and Al Dubin. I okay. think I'm saying that right. Okay. It's either Dubin or Dubin. Yeah. And um, so it was performed in 1934 and written then right. for a movie. And then the Flamingos did a version of it in 1959. Right. And doo-wop and R&B was defined by the flamingos they are universally held um and hailed as you know one of the finest yeah doo-wop and most influential vocal groups yeah and samantha martin and delta sugar very vocal based vocal heavy right and you know the flamingos are sort of like what started it and this song in particular and this particular version of this song yeah has inspired a lot of songs on the reckless one. Right. So the types of reverbs that we used, the types of vocal arrangements we went for, um, especially in the song, all that I am, yeah. which is on, on our record. And, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful song and it's so romantic. My love must be a kind of blind love. I can't see anyone but you.
Maybe millions of people As a, as a, you know, as a woman, you're like, oh, I wish somebody would say that to me. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right. So next up, uh, we're going to talk about Etta James. Uh, all I could do was cry. Uh, what do you like about Etta James and, and why'd you pick this song? Oh, man, what's not to love about Etta James? She she was she's so influ- influential to me, you know, right. like, because she has a way of conveying that broken hearted yeah. emotion in such a classy yeah but real way yeah and and you know this particular song was written about her ex-boyfriend yeah Harvey who was ended up marrying one of the songwriters, her name was Gwen, of this song. So Gwen oh, and her brother Barry with a guy named Billy Davis wrote this song right. for Chess Records for Etta James. And they wrote it about Etta's ex right. dating one of the songwriters. And, you know, it was cruel right right it was cruel what like as a singer if songwriters were writing songs about my life with me in the room and tearing up all that emotion and stuff yeah. like no wonder the vocal in this you know in this particular song is so heart-wrenching yeah and so you know because she was living it and you know it's like you're just marrying her for spite, you know, like, oh, yeah. I just, I feel for her in this song so hard. And, you know, this song inspired better to have never. Yeah. On yeah. our record. Yeah. So that's yeah, why I feel yeah. it. She's quite the love triangle though. Like that's, or is that a triangle? Like I, I kind of lost track of how it, I know it was so, it was so weird. Like what an awful situation. It was like, yeah. it was a love triangle of sorts. Yeah. 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 Conceptually, yeah. it was a love triangle. I heard church bells ring. I heard a choir singing. Finger, he plays three. 
Exactly. <laughs> uh, so next is uh, Ike and Tina Turner, uh, River Deep Mountain High. Uh, what do you like about Ike and Tina Turner? I would say that Ike and Tina Turner, um, the Ike and Tina Turner Review, yeah, which was their live show, um, really inspires Delta Sugar's live show. Right. Because what it's so inspiring. I mean, Tina Turner is one of my top vocalists and top, performers mm -hmm. and the music was so cool and and the stage show was so exciting that you know it's it's a definite inspiration yeah and and so I chose River Deep Mountain High uh because it was a Phil Spector produced right Phil Spector and a couple other like Ellie Greenwich and and um oh what Jeff Barry right I think Yes, Jeff Berry. <laughs> um, they wrote the song for Tina Turner. Right. Phil Spector heard Ike and Tina Turner's uh, music at a show, a live show. They, he'd seen them and he really, really wanted to produce Tina Turner with his wall of sound. Yeah. And, you know, this is a sign of the times. He went to Ike. Right. To ask to strike a deal to make this happen. And um, Phil Spector can is a isn't a great dude. I don't I don't love Phil Spector the man. Yeah, <laughs> Let's just yeah. put it that way. I hear um, you. <laughs> you know, but the wall of sound was such an interesting and and exciting concept. Right. And and 
Phil consider like is on record saying like River Deep Mountain High he considers his best work. Wow. And uh, which is really saying something for him, right? Absolutely. And and you know, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame considers it to be like I don't know, like one of the top 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Wow. So, you know, like it's a heavy tune. It's yeah. a really, really heavy tune. And Delta Sugar's played it live, like used to play it live at, yeah. uh, in our shows. And it's just such a fun song to play. Yeah. yeah. So that takes me back to something, you know, I, I, I'm always interested in exploring this with artists just because, you know, th- this the bulk of the recording of this show has taken place during the pandemic. I think we had done like four episodes pre-pandemic. So I'm always interested in exploring sort of what's the thing that you miss most about playing live shows? Oh, um, I miss playing music with people, you know, with like a 12 piece band. Yeah. Um, Because there's nothing like it for an artist, like to, to play with your, to make music. Yeah. There's nothing like it. But I think the thing that I miss the most is sort of that connection Right. With the audience and with the listener because, and that energy exchange. Right. You know, listening to, listening to our album is, you know, great. And I highly recommend it. Of course. But, uh, you know, definitely the live show is, is something that we focus on. Yeah. And and it's interesting, you know. I mean, I, I like the next best thing, I suppose, is like music videos, and that's and that was, you know, f- for sort of learning about you and your band. Watching the videos of you playing the songs was where I was like the most impacted by it because just the the emo. It just it's so much more emotive physically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the thing. It's like. In a, in a studio setting, you can sing your heart out, but there's something about seeing it. Yeah. And, and that's why I think Delta Sugar's really done a lot of performance videos right. more than like official music videos. Yeah, yeah. Because we really wanted people to understand who we were. And the best yeah. way to do that was to just perform these songs live so that they can get a sense of what the live show is and uh so you know we did a lot of performance video performance style videos um i i I think it's like this when i go for like a big note and they see the pain and misery on my yeah yeah exactly that connection yeah but uh you know, it's no different than if you're into really cool guitar solos and you see the guy with the with the twisted face, yeah, looking like he smelled some stinky cheese or something. <laughs> you know, you're like, man, he's really into it. And I, and I think that you know, for if you're into vocals, I yeah. think you know, you like to see that emotion on the singer's face. And yeah. I think that's why a lot of people connect with those style of of music videos. And and when we release sort of like performance right you know. when I was a little girl I had a breakdown only doll I've ever owned now I love you just the way I love that breakdown but only now my love has grown and it 
Um, all right. So uh, last song from your playlist is Al Green, Love and Happiness. Uh, what do you like about Al Green? I, I was so fortunate that in 2018, the band had gone down to Memphis mm -hmm. to compete in the International Blues Challenge. Right. We came in in the second uh, we made the second round. We didn't quite make it to the finals, but um, the night before we had gone to the night before we left, yeah. we went to this place called Ernestine and Hazel's. Right. It's, it's sort of like a juke joint, you know, bar room mm -hmm. kind of place. And I had had way too many cocktails. And then the next morning we were leaving to drive back to Toronto. Right. But I was like, you know what? We need to go and see if we can get into Al Green's church. It's right. just right around the corner. We're here. We have to go. Yeah. And so we went to Al Green's church. We were able to get in. We were sitting in the back row of the pews. And, yeah. and it's this, again, a beautiful moment where gospel music and soul music collide. And it, I'd seen Al perform in theaters like the Sony Center here in, in Toronto. Right. But it was like the same show in his church. Yeah. But the topic matter was different. Right. He was singing the same way. He, you know, it was the same vibe, mm -hmm. but instead of talking about loving a woman or falling in love, that mm -hmm. sort of thing, he was talking about his love for Jesus, <laughs> you right. know, so it was, he is such a cool artist. He's still got it. You know, yeah. there he's, and love and happiness is, has to be one of the greatest songs of all time. It's like a perfect song. It's got yeah. groove. It's got vibe. It's the lyrics are awesome. The message is amazing. His vocal delivery is incredible. Yeah. It's again quintessential. Yeah. Love and happiness. Yeah. Something that can make you do wrong, make you do right. Yeah. Love. Love and happiness But wait a minute, something's going wrong Someone's on the phone Three o'clock in the morning yeah. Talking about How she can make it right Yeah This is when you really feel good about somebody. There's nothing wrong being in love with someone, yeah.
I'll be good to you And we'll be together Spot on. Um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna end with uh, with your tune. I've got a feeling, um, and I want to kind of explore this idea. You know, it's it's the title of your album, and it's said in this in in the lyrics of this tune, and it and it just kind of piqued my curiosity, like the idea of being the reckless one. Um, what what are you referring to, and what does that idea sort of mean to you? The reckless one is the so the line in the song is i've had my share of being the reckless one but i've right. got a feeling that this might be love yeah and i am referring to falling recklessly in love right as i'm sort of i kind of fall hard fall quick you know like yeah just throw caution to the wind and you know put 100% into yeah. a new relationship yeah sometimes to the detriment of my own well-being right. <laughs> and at the you know at the 
at the time that I wrote this song. So this was the first song that we had written for the record. Yeah. And Curtis and I wrote the song and it sort of informed the rest of the record as to what direction we were going to take it. Right. And that's why I named the record The Reckless One. It's a terrible album title for right. a pandemic. And if I, you know, I'd already called it The Reckless One and then the pandemic hit. Right. Like, Dang it. You know, so, but, you know, and I'm very much not a reckless person in other avenues of my right. life. Like I'm a very, I think everything, I overthink it maybe, yeah. you know, and I, I'm like at the point, you know, I just, I fell in love. Okay. I fell yeah. in love yeah. and I wrote this song about falling in love and, and, you know, not wanting to, not wanting it to fall apart and right. being a little bit desperate to keep it together Yeah, and, and all that entails. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, nothing wrong with, uh, with a good love tune and, and on the topic of sort of, you know, titles that may not be the best for the pandemic we had this um we had this band on from montreal called no bro and they like their big single off their ep that they put out maybe three weeks into lockdown was called don't die so it was kind of <laughs> so they, may oh, have, no. they may have won up to you a little bit on that one um yeah but uh <laughs> You know, there's there's so little you can do about it, I guess, if if it's already locked into place. Um, but anyway, so before we before we wrap up, you know, uh, as I said at the beginning, we always like to give guests an opportunity to plug uh, plug their upcoming releases. Uh, your your album is out, um, but what can you tell the people about what to expect, where to find it, anything like that? Absolutely. So everything to do with Delta Sugar is at samanthamartinmusic.com. And uh, we've got CDs, we've got a back catalog of, of records as well. And we've got vinyl on the way uh, by the end of January. The, you know, it's, you can find us on all major streaming platforms and on social media. If you go to at Roots and Roll. So R-O-O-T-S-N-R-O-L-L. Kind of like rock and roll, but Roots, but roots and Roll. Love it. All right. Thanks so much to Samantha for joining us this week. As always, you can check out full versions of this show wherever you get your podcasts. Just look up Having a Chat. The show is produced by myself and Hillary Johnston. Uh, the theme music for the show is provided to us by Duncan Briggs and Sugar Glass. And all social media and marketing materials are done by Petra Walker. So don't forget to check us out on social media at Having a Chat. And to wrap up this week's show, uh, this is Samantha Martin and Delta Sugar with I've Got a Feeling. Talking to you 
Oh, 